Hey folks, Joyce Vance here. Preet's out this week, so today Ellie Honig is back to help me break down the latest news. As many listeners know, Ellie served as an assistant United States attorney in the Southern District of New York. He's now a CAFE contributor, the host of CAFE's Up Against the Mob podcast, and a senior legal analyst at CNN. Ellie and I discussed the latest developments in the Trump cases, including reports that Trump directed his assistant to tell investigators that she did not know about classified documents stored at Mar-a-Lago and Trump's co-defendant's efforts to remove the Georgia case to federal court. Today, we're sharing an excerpt from the episode with listeners of Stay Tuned. To hear our full conversation and access all other Cafe Insider content, try the membership for just $1 for one month. You can do that at cafe.com slash insider. That's cafe.com slash insider. We look forward to having you as a part of the insider community. Ellie, let me just dive right in because there are so many developments in the Donald Trump cases, and I can't wait to get your takes on everything. Yes. In the classified documents case, Trump's former assistant, Molly Michael, reportedly turned over items to the FBI the day following the search of Mar-a-Lago that they had missed. The reporting is that there were additional classified documents beneath an organizer in her desk drawer. The documents were file cards used to brief Trump while he was in office as president, and they bore classification markings, according to the reporting. So Michael, reportedly, this is all in an ABC report, tells investigators that Trump wrote to-do lists for her on the back of these classified documents. I mean, I'm still blown away by this. He treated them like scratch paper. You know, she also told investigators that Trump instructed her to tell them that she did not know about the classified documents stored at Mar-a-Lago. It's sort of a Captain Clink, you know nothing image that I got from the reporting. You don't know anything about the boxes, is what Trump reportedly told her to say. Can we start there? First off, from what we know, would her testimony be useful for proving Trump's intent or anything else? Oh, my goodness, yes. First of all, Molly Michael is, is to me, a fascinating witness. She's exactly the kind of witness that I would be hoping, praying to flip isn't maybe the right word, but to, to get her testimony because this is a person who's there throughout. Anytime, you know, her, I knew who she was. I knew the name because her name comes up so much because she was Trump's essentially personal assistant secretary during his time in the White House and after. So she's absolutely loyal to him. She has no reason to go after him. And her testimony to me is really damaging. The more damaging piece to me is the second piece that you talked about, the statement that Trump said to her, you know nothing about the boxes, about the documents. I mean, that's the kind of statement you can look at a jury and say, if you credit that, folks, he's guilty. Now, I know he's not exactly charged with that. When I say he's guilty, it would be, a, it's, it's textbook witness tampering. When you tell a witness, you don't know anything about something that you know that witness knows about, that's witness tampering. Now, there's not a freestanding count in the indictment relating to efforts to tamper with Molly Michael. I wonder if, I suppose it's possible they supersede and add that. But even if not, you would still argue that it's relevant to the obstruction case in general. I think that's very powerful, very straightforward evidence from a very credible source. The other fact about the documents with the to-do list on it is interesting to me. First of all, how does the FBI miss that? I mean, if it's, it's under an organizer, I mean, when they do a search warrant, they, they're supposed to be looking under things. And You know, I have this vision of how that happened, right? You know, she's got one of those little wooden things in there. I mean, I'm making this up, but it, in my mind, she's got one of those things that hold 
paper clips and stuff, and it looks like it's permanently in the drawer and nobody thinks to pick it up. I mean, it's just sort of fascinating, right? It's interesting. It's not that not, you know, if that ends up being true, I don't think it'll be the FBI's proudest moment that they failed to just try to lift it up. You know, it's it's not a good piece of evidence for Trump, but in a weird way, it cuts both ways. I mean, on balance, it's good for prosecutors because it just shows this utter recklessness. I mean, using these classified documents as scrap paper. On the other hand, it kind of supports the notion. It's not exactly exculpatory. It doesn't exactly suggest Trump's innocent, but it supports the notion that he didn't really have much of a plan here. You know, he just grabbed these boxes out of a sense of arrogance, entitlement, stupidity. And, you know, we do, we have seen the incidents in the indictment where he's actually referencing some of those documents in a substantive way um, when talking in one case to writers and another case to a political aide. But, you know, the fact that he's just sort of tossing them around and using them as scrap paper suggests more of a sense of no plan, arrogance, stupidity than Devi, you know, there's been some speculation, oh, was he going to sell this information to foreign adversaries or something? I think this undercuts that a little bit. But overall, I think it's a nice piece of evidence I would want to use as a prosecutor. Yeah, I think absolutely. Do you think that Michael herself faced any risk? Could she have been or could she still be at risk of being a defendant? So the question to me is, did she lie to, to the FBI, which I don't think we know, right? If she did do what Trump suggested, if she did go in there and say, I don't know nothing about classified documents or documents, let's say on a first interview, then she could have some exposure. Beyond that, I'm not sure I see any exposure. And Joyce, as you know, that happens a lot where somebody comes in and initially denies a responsibility and or denies that they know of somebody else doing something wrong. And that doesn't make the person unusable as a witness. You'd rather, as a prosecutor, have someone with a clean slate, but that happens, and you just have to be able to explain to a jury why. And here, I think you say she was loyal to Donald Trump. She was doing what he said, and then she realized that that was not the right path or something like that. So if she did not, in fact, make that false statement originally, to the FBI. And I don't, I've not seen any indication she did. But other than that, I don't see any criminal exposure for her. Do you? I may have asked the question inartfully because what I'm wondering is up to the point of the search, whether there would be a way of considering that she was complicit in, you know, an aider and a better, as prosecutors say, in Trump's retention of the documents. But I think that you're right. She is at best a more attractive witness than she is a defendant. And I'm curious about something that you said, maybe just a practice point for our listeners. You know, you said that you would prefer to have your cooperating witness to be somebody who was pure, who told the truth from the get-go. I will confess that I never minded mixing it up a little bit. And I was happy to have a cooperating witness who was an insider, somebody who might not have told the truth immediately the first time. I always thought that helped the jury understand the force of being in the middle, if not a, a criminal conspiracy, then some ongoing criminal conduct, that it was hard for people to break loose. Did you have a different experience? That's interesting. In other words, you say you you sort of use the fact that they lied in the first, let's say, proffer, which is an interview with prosecutors or grand jury or whatever their first statement was. And you say, look, this was when he was in the mix and this is what he was doing to be part of that mix. No, I mean, I, I certainly had that experience many times, but I, I still, all things being equal, I'd rather have somebody who fully crosses the Rubicon over to our side before they make any statement and comes clean in the beginning. Because what I what I never wanted was a defense lawyer to stand up on cross, and this this happens, this is fair play, 
and say, hey, first time you ever spoke to these guys, these prosecutors right here, you lied your face off to them, right? You told them you didn't do anything. You told them my client didn't do anything. You know, you can you can fight back from that as a prosecutor, but I'd rather not have to. You know, I never fought back. I always went through it in painful detail on the direct examination, and I would make the witness eat every single false statement that they ever made and ask them about, you know, why should the jury believe you now? But it's really interesting to me the different techniques and different preferences that prosecutors have. We've both dealt with cooperators who've done really bad things. So I think we've we've had practice with all the techniques of explaining to a jury, 12 normal people, why you should take the word of this, fill in the blank, mobster, murderer, liar, fraudster. It's part of the art of being a prosecutor. Yeah, it's an interesting point. So listen, Ellie, I know you won't be surprised to learn that a Trump spokesman responded to what ABC News said. They called it illegal leaks. They said it lacked proper context and relevant information. And of course, they said that President Trump did nothing wrong. President Trump did nothing wrong, has always insisted on truth and transparency and acted in a proper manner according to law. Is there anything in there that's a good defense if Michael testifies to what's in the reporting? No, I, I think the defense would have to just be that she's wrong or she's she's not telling the truth. I think once if the jury accepts what she says, I don't see a defense. But usually in a situation like this, the, the defense will be sort of what we just heard in that statement. You know, I we deny it. We he has done nothing but tell people to comply and be truthful. And that's a jury issue. And this is where juries will have to weigh credibility. So I'm not seeing anything particularly helpful to Trump here, but you know, I, I'm having a hard time seeing, I, I understand what Trump's defense will be in some of these cases, some of these counts. But when it comes to the documents and particularly the obstruction part of Mar-a-Lago, I'm just not seeing it at this point. I mean, they'll come up with something. They'll, they have, he has good lawyers. He'll have a defense, but this one's going to be tough for them, I think. I, I think we've talked about it. I think of the four cases, the strongest evidence, the most straightforward charges and the neatest fit between charge and evidence is the Mar-a-Lago case. What do you think the defense is here? I mean, I, I agree with you, and I've speculated that the whole defense is to keep the case from ever going to trial. Yeah. But do you think that there is a good substantive defense? Well, you know, defense number one, of course, is winning the election, uh, which if, if he does, I think will cause all of these cases to go away in, di- in different ways that we can talk about, or at least getting it pushed till after the election. But uh, you know, they, they keep talking about the Presidential Records Act, but as, as I'm sure you've, you've discussed on this program and I've discussed, that just holds no water. It's just a complete misreading of the Presidential Records Act. Before we leave presidential records, I mean, I think it's worth pointing out that something prosecutors can choose to do on, on a defense like that that's a legal issue, right? There's There's nothing factual there. It's about what the coverage of the Presidential Records Act is. And prosecutors can file a motion in limine, a motion in advance of trial, and they can ask the judge to rule as a matter of law that it does not provide a defense and that the defense is prohibited from mentioning it in front of the jury. And I think we may see something like that happen. Of course, we've got Judge Eileen Cannon to contend with. So it's anyone's guess how that comes out. 
I think it's likely we see that motion and I think there's a lot of merit to it. I used to do this all the time and I'm glad you raised this. This happens in every trial. Both sides will sort of, it's called motions in limine, which is Latin for something. I don't know what it means (laughs) (laughs) to me. I think in limine just means before the trial. Okay, that's my favorite Latin translation ever. It means something. Yeah, I mean, I know what it, it's like, I know when you do them and how they work, but I couldn't tell you what the Latin means. Um, but pretrial motions, basically, where you're trying to take certain issues off the table. You don't want the defense to go into irrelevancies. You don't want them throw, and it goes both ways, by the way. Defendants will say, oh, we can't mention the fact, Let's. I'm making this up, but this is a fairly common one. The prosecution shouldn't mention the fact that my client was engaged in an extramarital affair. And usually you'll stand up and go, yeah, no, judge, we agree to that. Uh, that's not relevant. We don't intend to bring that up. So, it's sort of a narrowing of the issues. Can I tell you a quick story about my proudest motion in limine moment? Please. So I got very paranoid about this. And as I did more trials, I sort of started to learn the tricks. And we did a trial, a bribery case actually, involving a New York City official, a city level official who was taking cash envelopes. And, but we knew that this person's son This guy was probably 50 years old and his son was maybe 25 years old. His son had died tragically shortly before the trial. And I had this, obviously had nothing to do with the case. And I had this sneaking suspicion they were going to just mention it, right? The defense lawyers get up and opening. They just say it. We go, oh, objection, your honor. But the jury's already heard it. And so I made a motion in limine to prevent any, prohibit any mention of the defendant's son recently dying. And the judge, Judge Barbara Jones, a very good judge, sort of looks at the defense and goes, obviously, folks, you weren't going to mention that. That has no relevance here. And immediately the defense lawyers, you could see it was line one of their opening. They were like, <laughs> well, judge, we may, my, there's a scenario where it could be relevant. And Judge Jones goes, hell no. She goes, if you are needing to say anything about this, if you believe this becomes relevant, you are to see me at sidebar first. And I was like, very good. They absolutely were going to open with, his son died six months ago. But uh, I I squashed that one out in advance. That's the kind of thing you can only sort of get with experience. You know, that's a great story. And it's such a good point because often the outcome of these things will be the judge will tentatively rule one way or the other, but then will tell the parties, If something changes while we're in trial, you must approach the bench. You can't just dive straight in, right? Don't blurt it. And so we could see a series of rulings like that in this case. Yeah. That I think is all interesting. And Michael is certainly the kind of witness that's been very often missing in cases against Trump. You know, he's been remarkably successful in not having people show up as people who are cooperating with the government. And I'm curious how you assess the reporting here. Do you think it suggests that Michael is a cooperator or is something else going on? It's funny because we use this phrase cooperator has this person flipped a lot in the media, but that can mean a lot of different things. When a person gets a subpoena, they have to testify uh, unless they take the fifth or, or something of that nature. And so, but but I always think of cooperator with a capital C as somebody who has taken a guilty plea, admitted their involvement in the crime, and now is implicating others. I don't think she's in that status. I think she's in the status of pretty close to an innocent bystander. And if you can shake a person like that loose, who is that close and has been that loyal to Trump, that to me is a golden witness. There are other people who've sort of had these messy public breaks with Trump, who I still think are quite credible witnesses, Cassidy Hutchinson being one of them. But Molly Michael has been loyal with him as far as we know to this day. She may have just made the calculation of, I'm not willing to jeopardize myself and go in and lie to prosecutors or a grand jury, and I'm going to do what I have to do. And so to me, she seems like a really promising witness. And I, the reporting certainly strikes me as credible. I mean, the the notion that Trump would try to get her to change her story is 
only consistent with 46 other stories that we've heard <laughs> along the exact same from Michael Cohen to on down, you know, who, who have talked about how Trump knew how to remind his people that they were to stick to the party line. Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting because this is someone who was with Trump in the White House. She stays with him essentially as a personal secretary when he leaves. It occurs to me that he knows a great deal more about her than the prosecution does, probably. And if she's going to be my witness at trial, she and I are going to spend some quality time together where I'm going to ask her to tell me every bad thing she has ever done for Trump or every bad thing she's done that Trump knows about. Because you could see a certain scenario here where he could try to point the finger at her. Not that it would work, right? But as you say, he's a little bit short on, on defenses. And so, you know, all of this is emerging just around the time that the National Archives finds, I, I think, 200 classified documents in the 15 boxes that they've got. They refer the matter to the FBI. The reporting is that Trump began to seem a little bit more hesitant about cooperating with the agency at that point in time. And he asks Michael to spread around the message that no more boxes existed. Perhaps Trump says, you know, I didn't know that there were any more boxes. This was all Michael's doing. And then it really is sort of an, an argument between the sides about her credibility, as you've suggested. Yeah. I, I, by the way, I've had that conversation that you referenced with the witness and go, look, everything that that guy knows about you and probably more is going to come up on your cross-examination. And, and, you know, sometimes- We call that a come to Jesus meeting where exactly. I live. Exactly. And, and, you know, it'll be interesting when, when Trump goes to trial because a defense lawyer, when they're cross-examining a witness, like- Thanks for listening. To hear the full episode, head to cafe.com slash insider and try out the membership for just $1 for one month. That's cafe.com slash insider. To the many of you who've chosen to join the insider community, thank you for supporting our work. Thank you.